Thanks, Matt. Uh, my name is Steve, in case you... That feels good. Thank you. That feels really good. Uh, and it feels good. I was out of town last week, uh, so I didn't get to see all your smiling faces. That feels very good. It's very good to see you guys. So, as I was saying, my name is Steve, and I'm here to preach. So, let's get on with it. Today, I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. And he, Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, in case you haven't been with us, does this come up? Yes. Um, in case you haven't been with us, what we've been doing these last eight months, almost a year, I don't know how long it's been. It's been a long time. We've been reading through the entire Bible together as a congregation. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been considering the words of Jesus, not all of them, as good as that exercise would be, there's too much. It's just, this, it's a treasure trove. We're only taking a look at a few of the most important things that Jesus said. And today, we come to what I think is about as close to the heart of all that Jesus came to say of anything else that I know. He here teaches the essence of what it means to follow him, to be his disciples. And yet, yet... Even though that's true, this teaching is one that both Christians and non-Christians are most likely to um, avoid at best or reject at worst. And don't miss that tension. That's very important. This teaching is the beating heart of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And yet this teaching is the one that we are most tempted to ignore or reject. If any non-Christian is feeling, you know, moved to believe that Christ, that, that Jesus is the Christ for their everlasting salvation, if that's where their heart is, it's this teaching that has the potential to shipwreck, shipwreck their budding faith on the rocks of reality and send them off into the sea searching for another way. If any person, on the other hand, who has tasted the fruit of Christ and has joined a community of faith and has often shared the table of Christ with other Christians, if they find their home in the church, it is still this teaching that has the potential to tempt them to leave this home and find accommodations elsewhere. So, what is this teaching that is so hard for all of us to accept? It's pretty simple, and it's this. To follow Jesus means that we must suffer. To follow Jesus means that we must suffer. And I admit that, I mean, it's a hard teaching, but you have to believe me when I say that it is only superficially difficult. If we follow Jesus through this whole teaching, I want to try to show you that despite that bitter shell, this teaching is actually sweeter than you could possibly imagine. So, it's a tall order, I know. Uh, in order to get at it, let's talk, about three, let's talk about it under three headings. Number one, the necessity of suffering. Number two, the economics of suffering. And number three, the power to endure suffering. So, the necessity, the economics, and the power to endure. Number one the necessity of suffering. Let's deal 
head on with the teaching itself first. Back to Luke 9, uh, 23. And he said to all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So the operative phrase here is, come after me. This is Jesus' way of talking about discipleship. And we often think of Christianity in terms of believing a certain set of doctrines, like salvation by faith or the Trinity. It's Trinity Sunday. We, we think of, um, you know, creation and election and all of these sorts of things. And to be clear, being a Christian is not less than right belief, but it is certainly more. When Jesus talks about what it means to be his disciple, he uses action words. Follow me. Come after me. Okay, so that's the operative phrase. Now, let's next see who it is he's giving this invitation to. If anyone would come after me. So, this is a universal definition of discipleship for all people in all times. What he's about to say, it doesn't just apply to like some elite cadre of priests and apostles, but instead it applies to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. So what he's about to tell us, this is what it means to be a disciple in America in the 21st century and in Africa in the 14th century and in China in the 18th century, whether you're a man or a woman, rich or impoverished, a citizen or an immigrant, everyone. This is what it means to be a disciple. So Jesus is about to define discipleship for anyone who chooses to follow him. And here it is. We're going to return one more time. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So to follow Jesus, according to him, we must do two things. Number one, deny ourselves. Number two, take up our cross daily. And let's look at both of these. First, he teaches us that to follow him means to deny ourselves. Now, the most basic definition of deny just means to say no to somebody, right? Like a request is made and either you grant it or you deny it. To deny a person means that we say, no, you may not have what you ask for. And so the object of this denial is interesting. Who is the object of the denial? He says, let him deny himself. So who, who are, whom are we to deny? <laughs> Proper grammar. Um, it is ourselves if we are to follow Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Uh, well, as anyone with a self knows, um, ourselves have a will. And ourselves in that will are constantly making requests of us. And because we have been born into sin, the requests ourselves tend to make of us are always for our own benefit and for our own survival and flourishing. And so ultimately, you know, at the bottom of all, we are deeply selfish creatures concerned only with our own agenda, with our own flourishing. At least that's how we are left completely to ourselves. And nowhere is this more true for us, like Americans, 21st century? Like, nowhere is this more true than for us. Uh, one of the most fundamental tenets of our national faith that we've been taught 
since we were little kids is self-reliance, personal liberty. And to be clear, like just, just to be absolutely clear, there, there's some good in those principles, absolutely good stuff in those principles, uh, and they're good in and of themselves. But we all know that we are daily tempted to take them beyond the inherent goodness into the realm of utter selfishness. We believe like deep in our bones that nobody gets to tell me what to do. Nobody gets to tell me how to do it. Nobody gets to tell me what to believe or how to behave I am the master of my life. I am the captain of my soul. And again, I'm not going to deny that there's some good to be had in those convictions. But the problem comes when Jesus stands up and says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. In essence, Jesus is saying, I am the master of your fate. I am the captain of your soul. Yourself has a will, and that will makes demands of you in accordance with its own values. But Jesus teaches us that to follow him means to acknowledge that there is another will outside of our own to which ourselves must conform. And that means we must deny ourselves, to say no to the requests of our will, to look to the Father in heaven and say with deep and and abiding conviction, not my will, but yours be done. Make no mistake, like, that's hard. If If you've only had to do that once in your life, you know that, hopefully you've done it more than once. But if you, you will know that that is a very difficult thing to do. To tell the self no, to deny the self is very difficult. And, and that, that is where the, the suffering comes in, 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 in small part. And we'll get to the rest of the suffering later. So that's the first thing that Jesus teaches us about what it means to follow him. We must deny ourselves. Now, the second thing he says is that we must take up our cross daily and follow him. So now, to the people in the crowd, um, Jesus is using this language of a cross. And to them, this wasn't like a flowery metaphor about, you know, having a difficult in-law or, you know, you didn't get the parking space, your traffic. You know, it's, it's not a flowery metaphor for, you know, whatever hardships they're in- enduring, no matter how small they might be facing. Like, that's, that's how, kind of how we use it. But to those whom Jesus was preaching, they knew what it meant to be crucified. They knew what a cross was, like physical cross. They understood what that meant. They had been under Roman occupation for centuries at that point. They had seen with their eyes, or at least heard of reports, of enemies of the state having their bodies attached to wooden beams and being left to die. So Jesus, when he's saying this language, it means an awful lot more to them than maybe it means to us at first blush. Jesus is here calling on them, anyone who's listening, to join him in the shameful march of death in which a criminal was made to carry the instrument of his own execution on his back through the city streets. So Jesus is very much telling them that in order to follow him, they must be willing to lay down their lives 
and die with him. However, it is clear that Jesus is also speaking metaphorically here uh, when he talks about taking up our cross. Like, first of all, a person can literally only be crucified once, right? You're, after that, you have died. But Jesus says disciples are to take up their cross daily. Additionally, there's only one person in the New Testament, according to the New Testament, who physically died on a cross, and that was Jesus. And, you know, we have accounts outside the New Testament of a handful of apostles who probably were also crucified. But for the most part, those who followed Jesus did not die by crucifixion. So unless we call the apostolic movement a failure to follow Jesus' teachings, he must have been speaking metaphorically about taking up our cross daily. So if we are to follow Jesus, we must take up our crosses daily and follow him. Then what does that mean? It means, generally speaking, that to follow Jesus, we will have to suffer. Like this is intimately connected with the previous teaching on self-denial. If there's any place where the self will rise up in protest with clenched fists for its own protection, it is in the case of suffering. The self will always seek to avoid affliction and pain. And I, I take that as axiomatic. I hope that we all agree on this. The self will always seek to avoid affliction and pain. But Jesus teaches us that the very identity of a disciple the identity of a disciple is one who suffers. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is so important. We need to slow down here just, just so that we don't miss it. Suffering is part and parcel of the identity of a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not the whole thing. It's not, it's not all the identity. But it is so woven into the fabric of a disciple's identity that is very difficult. You, you can't remove it without tearing the whole fabric apart. And often, that's not what we're taught in contemporary Christianity. We're taught that suffering is, is like a, an aberration of regular life. We're taught that we're to seek pleasure and comfort above all. And when suffering does come, as, you know, is inevitable in a world like ours, it takes us utterly by surprise. We're shocked when death comes. Like, we all know, that, death, but we're shocked when it comes. We stagger when the slightest difficulty comes our way. You remember what Peter said in his first letter, um, chapter 4? He says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Apparently, the people to whom um, Peter was writing had some of the same sensibilities as us. Suffering came upon them and like, what? What is this? Strange, foreign. This is not the way life is supposed to be. And Jesus is teaching us here, this is the way your life will be. Don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. 
When suffering comes upon you, when the fiery trial burns up the demands of your will and refuses to allow you to choose your own path in life, don't be surprised. Don't think something strange is happening to you. This is what Jesus promised to those who follow him. Take up your cross and follow me. And that is the way of Jesus. And there is no other way. And remember, he's not talking to like a select few, like the elite He's talking to anyone who would follow him. Suffering is at the heart of the disciples' identity. Now, do you understand why this is such a divisive teaching? Do you understand why this could turn curious seekers of Jesus away? And I happen to think we do the world a great disservice by hiding demands like this behind the more palatable teachings of Jesus. Like, let's just start them with, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let's get, let's get the golden rule. And, you, and, as, and then you can see how that actually works in your life. And then you'll want some other teachings. That, but eventually, you're going to get to take up your cross. Suffer with me. We make these people to whom we teach in this way, like the seed that was sown in the rocky soil in Jesus' parable, they, they grow up they, very quickly. But when the full heat of the sun comes, they wither away. Affliction always withers any disciple who has not been convinced that suffering is at the heart of following Jesus, that there is a will outside of our own that must be embraced contrary to our own. Now, <clears throat> even though everything I just said is true, as, as far as I can tell from the scriptures, this is true. I, I admit, I, I'm not robotica, I admit, this is very bleak. And that leads me to the obvious question. If suffering and death is the condition for following Jesus, who in the world would actually take him up on this offer? How has there been more than like 12 Christians in the entirety of world history? I mean, if this is what discipleship means, how can it be that any of us are sitting here right now saying, yeah, I, I believe in Christ. I, I am a Christian. And that brings us to our next point, the economics of suffering. So Jesus doesn't just, you know, leave this stark, bleak invitation hanging out there with no explanation. In fact, he goes on to explain the benefits of suffering death in a, in a series of three grounding statements. So first, verse 24, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, to the natural mind, that paradox is almost too much to understand. Jesus said, here's why it makes sense to commit yourself to suffering death as you follow me. Because to lose your life means to save it or preserve it. But to spend all your energy, talent, and resources trying to preserve your life will actually cause you to lose the thing you worked so very hard to save. What? 
And so it's right here that our beliefs are subjected to the most extreme stress test that I know of. At the heart, listen, if, if you've, just come here for a second, um, because this is so important. At the heart of all Christian doctrine is the belief that there is more to this life than the span of years that begins at birth and ends in death. We believe that there is a life to come, a life of everlasting glory in the kingdom of God, in which all sin will be cast off, all suffering will be healed, all injustice will be corrected, and in that day we shall see our Lord and live with him world without end. And our glorified bodies will receive the overflow of joy from our souls, which are enraptured and suffused with awe at the sight of our glorified Lord. And all shall be well in that day. That is what we confess. But when we come to Jesus' teaching here, you must suffer. You must die with me. That's where it wakes me up. It says, do you really believe that there is more to life than just these 70, 80 years? The teaching of Jesus to take up your cross only makes sense if there is a life to come. Left to ourselves, we will stop at nothing to preserve our own lives here in this world because we're convinced that this world is all there is. And thus there is no higher good for our species than to do everything necessary to uphold life at all costs because when you lay your head into the grave, you are entering a permanent reality. Your body will turn to dust in a thousand years. You will be forgotten. And then one day the sun will grow cold and life will cease and the curtain will drop on this tragic drama. And if that's the case, then it only makes sense to preserve your life here, to uphold it at all costs. It's the only life you have. So eat, drink, and be merry. And if that's the true story of the world, then Jesus' teaching is deeply offensive and probably ought to be discarded in favor of his more palatable teachings that will make this life a little bit better. But Jesus believes that the tragic drama that I just described is not the whole story. In fact, he believes what the scriptures say, namely that the ages of this earth and every nation that has risen and fallen in history is nothing more than a drop in the bucket in the eyes of the Lord. Less than nothing. It's a mist that appears and is quickly dispersed. It's grass that grows strong in the morning, but by the afternoon is completely destroyed. It's a flame that's lit, but quickly snuffed out. This life, according to the scriptures, is just the beginning of the story. And in my view, this has never been said better than on the last page of the last battle, which is the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia. And it says this, and for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, 
It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. If we believe this, then it's the only way that Jesus' teachings about suffering and death make sense to take up our cross and to follow him. If we lose our lives, listen, if we lose our lives, then it is of no consequence. This earthly life is only the cover and the title page, right? If our earthly lives are filled with suffering from the moment we're born to the moment we lay our head in the grave, then it matters very little in the course of eternity where every chapter will be better than the next. So Jesus teaches us that if we are to follow him in this world, we must not mind suffering. We must not seek to preserve our life at all cost because the greater life is to come. Like I said, the saying of Jesus about denying ourselves and taking up our crosses, it really is like this watershed teaching of whether we truly believe that there is a life to come. And if you find yourself unsure about that, fear not. <laughs> there, there is nothing you can do to convince yourself. There's, there's no pattern of exercises or readings or what, this, to be convinced of this so that suffering makes sense, giving loving at cost, like all of these, in order for that to make sense, a conviction of the life to come, it is a gift. It comes by grace and you can only ask for it. So Jesus goes on to elaborate on this first reason. And I'll just consider these next two more briefly. Verse 25, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Again, he's dealing in economic terms here. He's talking about the worth of things and comparing them. If it's true that there is a life to come in the future kingdom of God, which will be everlasting, and shall weigh down the scales with infinite joy, what could you possibly put on the other side that would balance the scales? At the end of the day, what most of us want is a decent life lived with people that we love and who love us in relative prosperity and ease. Like that's what most of us want. We want to avoid serious injury, suffering. We want to avoid disease. And that commitment is sometimes, or I might say often, at odds with Jesus' call to follow, to, uh, the call that we're looking at here, to follow Jesus to Golgotha. But, th but th here, this is why we gather every Sunday. Do, you realize that, right? That, this is why we're here. It's not just a this is not like a religious exercise where you, you get the point or you don't get the point for sure. Like, like the reason why we gather here week after week is because every other day of the week you are bombarded with messages that tell you that this life is all that there is. 
So you've got to make it the best life possible. Advertisers do this for us. They make sure that we know that there is nothing beyond. Make it the best that you possibly can. And it's only here that you will hear the opposite. There is a life to come. And nothing that you add to your life here will be worth trading for that future bliss. So do not be afraid to suffer and die with your Lord Jesus. Because it is worth it. It's worth it, he says. And then Jesus gives us the third reason to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So to follow Jesus in denying myself and taking up my cross is not a neutral activity. If I am convinced that such a life is not worth it to me, in other words, if I'm ashamed to suffer and die with Jesus, then he too will be ashamed of me when he returns in glory. Now, in an honor-shame culture, like the one that Jesus is inhabiting, to shame a person essentially means to reject them. So Jesus says, if you reject me, I, I will also reject you. Now that is, that is bitter medicine to swallow. But think about it from the other side. If I am convinced that there is a life to come and that following Jesus and suffering and death is worth whatever it costs me so that I may gain the resurrection and be ushered into eternal life, then when the last trumpet sounds and the sky is torn asunder and Jesus Christ, the glorious one, descends from heaven with all of his glory shining forth, then in that day he will not be ashamed to call me his own. He will lift my weary head and all those who have suffered with him and say in the midst of the great congregation of the world, he, she belongs to me. And that brings us to our final point. The power to endure suffering. Now at this point, it could be that in being reminded of what we believe, particularly regarding eternal life, like it has moved you as it ought to. And you find yourself wanting to embrace Jesus' teaching about denying yourself and taking up your cross and embrace suffering and death as the way to true life. But still, none of us wants to suffer. None of us wants to die. And to be clear, Jesus is not telling us to go search out suffering, to go seek it. He's telling us that if a cross is laid in our path, we must bear it. Certainly none of us wants to have our lives cut short. So, where do we get the power to follow Christ with our crosses lifted up upon our shoulders? And for that, we just have to look at the larger context of this teaching. Right before Jesus gives this command to all the crowds that he's talking to, something extraordinary happens. Look at verse 18 in Luke chapter 9. Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. 
and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. When Jesus calls each of us to suffer and to die, to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him, he is not asking us to do anything that he himself did not do for us first. Jesus, this is amazing. He, he, he asks them, who am I? Who do the crowds say that I am? And they say, well, you know, Elijah, other prophets. But who do you say that I am? The Christ of God. In Matthew's, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to Peter, oh, this was a revelation from the Father. You didn't come up with this on your own. This is a revelation from the Father. But, so you've got my identity correct, but you can't tell anyone yet why. Because the Christ must suffer this is, we don't see this in Luke's gospel, but in Matthew's gospel, Peter rebukes him at this point. Says, no, you shall never suffer. And Jesus is trying to tell his disciples here, you don't understand suffering. You got part of my identity right. Yes, I am the Christ, but suffering is at the heart of my identity. I am the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke of so long ago. And later in Revelation, when all things have come to an end, we see a lamb standing in the midst of the congregation, the songs rising up. And what does the lamb look like? It says the lamb looks as if he was slain. Suffering is at the heart of the identity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who taught us what it meant to deny ourselves. In the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, he longed to be excused from the torment to come. And yet, through the troubling prayers that were so intense that great drops of blood began to form in his sweat, he resigned himself. Not my will, but yours be done. And then he himself taught us what it meant to take up a cross, to bear it through the city, to receive the taunts and the jeers of his executioners, and finally to be lifted up from the earth on a cross of wood. There he suffered the full weight of the curse of your sin and mine. And it is written that in that day he became a curse for us. And in such a state, with all his people's sin gathered up into his atoning body, the father was ashamed of him. Which is to say, the father rejected him. Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And nothing in response except black clouds gathered over his head. God was treating his son as each of us deserved. And at last, Jesus gave up his spirit and breathed his last. Now, listen very carefully to me here. When Jesus suffered and died, his cup was full of curse and rejection. And when he breathed his last, the wrath of God for the sins of his people was satisfied and the curse was broken. And so now, when Jesus Christ invites his disciples to take up their cross, to suffer with him, and to die, 
we will never suffer like he did. Because of his work, our suffering and death never has a drop of curse in it. Despite what our flesh tempts us to believe, rather, when we take up our cross and suffer and die with him, we enter into the sweetness of the fellowship of his suffering. And that is a gift beyond all reckoning. Now, we come to this table which Christ our Lord has set for us. The world will try to convince us that this life is the only life that there is, and that when we eat, and when we eat that bread, it will taste bitter to us. But at this meal, we know that Christ has brought us a taste of the meal from the age to come. It's bread and its cup are sweet to our taste. If you are suffering today, come to this table and find your comfort in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. If you're not suffering, then come to this table and fortify yourself to enter those future trials by faith. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, You know that, left to ourselves, we will never embrace the way of suffering. You know that we will imitate Christ in every other way besides that one. And yet, every single one of us knows what it means to be in affliction and pain and suffering. So I pray, Father, that you would grant us the grace we have we have nothing inside of us, nothing inherent that will allow us to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Nothing inherent that will allow us to deny ourselves. So we are left hopeless unless you intervene. Fill us with your spirit. Create in your midst a people of the cross. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, my brothers and sisters, come and welcome to Jesus Christ.